This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Cream by Holy Barbarians. I don't really care what he's singing. I just want to hear him sing. I love the keyboard stuff on this record. That one was kind of a letdown for me. If you had told me a week ago, I'd be ranking him this way. I said, you're not. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 145. We are getting close to the end of season three, and we have a suggestion of yours. I teased it last week, but this week I am opening the floor to you. Tell us about your suggestion for this week. Uh, my suggestion is a band called Holy Barbarians. They're, they're significant to this show because we've already reviewed um, the Cult self-titled album from, was it 94? In that era, in that, yeah, in that range. Uh, I'll double Um, check, but... So this album, I would consider sort of the sister to that record in that features Mm -hmm. Ian Asbury, as well Mm -hmm. as uh, the same drummer, correct? Correct. And the drummer's brother, who plays bass on the record, is that right? Yep. So I remember them being played on the radio a little bit. It was kind of a big deal in that, you know... The call had broken up, and this was Ian Asbury's first band after that. And um, I think one of the one of the tunes got some play, and I remember them doing the, uh, um, you know, sort of modern rock, alt rock, um, concert tour circuit. Um, but it never really did anything. But uh, because I'm such a huge cult fan, of course, I bought it, and uh, thought it'd be fun to dig it back out and see what you thought of it. Well, you know, it's funny because. I, back in the day when this came out, I wasn't necessarily a big cult fan. I knew probably the singles, and that was about it. But I actually saw Holy Barbarians play at Buzzard Fest in 96 up in Cleveland uh, with Candlebox and Tragically Hip and 311, No Doubt, Refreshments, uh, Poe, quite the show, Nixon's. And... Uh, yeah, I was not really that familiar, so I didn't really... I, I knew the voice, but I didn't know so the connection between Holy Barbarians overall. You know, that basically the drummer mm-hmm. was brought over from the last uh, cult album in 94 and that sort of stuff. We'll do a, a brief history of the band because you covered yep. most of it. History of the band. For Holy Barbarians, basically what happened was the cult broke up and... Ian Asbury had been living in the U.S., and he kind of wanted to go back to his hometown to do a record. And he met with he met a guy named Patrick Sugg at a uh, it was a Wayne Kramer show, and they got to talking and talking about music and stuff like that, and started writing songs together. And they got, to, as you mentioned, Scott Garrett, who had been the drummer in the cult for the last album and then was also went on to later be the drummer in God Lives Underwater and has played in a band called Dag Nasty he played in the Mission UK he played in um, a band called Neverland which will come up in a little bit and uh, joined them they recorded in Liverpool and the album came out on Beggar's Banquet in May of 96 and it was one single Space Junkie which had a sing- which actually had a video and I watched it before the show and it's very 90s. Uh, <laughs> it involves the band playing in a dark room. Um, their st- the, the ceiling is low enough that their heads are sticking through the ceiling, and there's a ring of light 
that they're sticking their head through. So you can see half their head, and it looks like there's like a halo around, they're like midway through their head. <laughs> and then Ian Asbury's like dancing around with blonde hair and um, a nose ring. So, <laughs> like I said, it's very 90s. Yeah. So they, uh, they, they toured in, they started actually to write a, another album in 97, but the band broke up. Asbury went to record a solo record, which was in 1998, and not released until 2000. Uh, I you remember the Spirit Light, something like that. Spirit Light Sound or something. Spirit Light Sound, yeah. yeah. Not a bad record, but uh, definitely more of a, a, an Asbury a solo outing, uh, you yep. can tell. And then, uh, the, of course, the cult reformed in 99 to release uh, the record Beyond Good and Evil uh, in 2001 with Bob Rock, which I have a, like I mentioned, I have sort of a growing appreciation for the cult. I didn't, I wasn't into them, and... Um, I think it really like blossomed with that album, and then it made me go back and listen yeah. to a lot of the old cult stuff. And I really enjoyed the, the self-titled album that we reviewed, and then albums like Electric and Love and Sonic Temple. But I'm not a fan of Ceremony mm. or the first album Dreamtime, or even um, the 2000 album Born Into This, which I, I know you like, but I don't really care for that record. And uh, I did like the last one, Choice of Weapon. So. Uh, and when I mentioned that uh, Matt Garrett played drums in the cult, so did about a, a half a, or a dozen other guys. So it's sort of like being in Spinal Tap. There are a billion drummers who have played <laughs> with uh, with the cult. So yeah. everybody gets to play drums in the cult for 15 minutes. So let's talk about this. Uh, well, first of all, if you want to suggest an album for review, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and uh, suggest a way. Hit our request review page. That's how you do it. And then we did get some Facebook feedback, mostly from Joe, Joe Royland. He chimed in twice. It's a lot, so I'm just going to sort of pare it down. The first one was, his, was him saying that he had not heard the album in a while, but didn't recall it being good. And then he went back and said, so I listened to the Holy Barbarians album again. It's actually better than I remembered it being. Still wouldn't call it great, especially stacked against cult albums. I think the lyric writing is weaker. But Patrick Sugg brings a different yet cool guitar vibe to the album. Than Billy Duffy would with the cult. Still, it's a decent little album in its own right. And then he also mentioned uh, in his earlier post, that was much longer and I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, that since he was a big fan of Neverland as well as the cult, he was anxious to hear this record. So Sug and Garrett had both been in Neverland. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to get to that record sometime in the near future because I'm sort of curious to hear. <laughs> it's um, part of the trilogy here. Yeah, the trilogy of uh, the Patrick Sugg, <laughs> Matt Garrett, Ian Esbury trilogy. <laughs> uh, so we'll get to that by the end of the year. But first, we got to take we got to tackle this record. And uh, Jason, you were kind enough to suggest this album. That means I am going to go first and lay down my opinion on it. Lay I got I, I didn't I didn't give a good like. Uh, this, well, this... Let, let me do it. Let me okay, do it. Okay, do it. Do it. Tim, so on this record, does the cream rise to the top or does it fall to the bottom? That was a good one. I thought you were going to go much dirtier than that, but I appreciate you didn't. Uh, I think in a lot of cases on this record, the cream does rise to the, rise to the top. I think there's a few spoiled moments, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, it's a nice little gem of a record 
especially the guitar playing, I think is really, it's kind of out of place in 1996, but I think that's what makes it fun because it's definitely recalling a lot of 60s. Uh, a lot of it reminded me of guitar vibe or guitar, the guitar vibe of uh, a lot of 60s, you know, direct in, fuzzy, uh, John Lennon style playing and like on Space Junkie and Brother Fights. It's, it's a lot of fun in that respect. Um, and there's also some other nods to like 60s psychedelic sounds like Magic Christian has a very Donovan or um, Dorsey kind of vibe to it. Mm. It's fun. It's cool. They get a little, and this is mostly I'm going to put this on Ian Asbury because he has a tendency to sometimes get a little overly dramatic yeah. with the slow songs. And I don't really care for those. I like when he's up tempo, when he's giving me the the woos and the Ooh. Memphis hip shake babies and those sorts of things. I li- I yeah. like that from him. I like when he's channeling his uh, his soul singer vibe. The interesting aspects of the record, um, in terms of I guess the surprises. Which shouldn't have been as big a surprise as because, you know, we reviewed that previous cult record, which was only out two years before this. They did a lot of different things. They incorporated a lot of different sounds, new sounds into that record. Uh, but I'm thinking of, like, songs... Uh, which one is it? Like, You Are There. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a big, majestic-sounding chorus and, and song. One thing that that cult record was missing is there's not a lot of um, grandiose. Uh, it's a kind of a dark record, yeah. And this record op- is this record sounds a little more fun. Like they're having a bit more fun with this. Yeah. And that song "You Are There," I remember. I I don't know why, but when he gets to that chorus, "You Are There" uh, with the Coca-Cola, like I know yeah. I've heard that before, but I don't remember necessarily sitting down with this record all that much. So. Maybe huh. that got played. Maybe you guy, maybe you and Keith played that for me, or we were heard, heard in a car somewhere on a yeah. CD back in the day. But yeah, that was that just like sounded so universal when I heard that chorus. It made me like kind of uh, give me a little tingle there. Um, yeah. I really has like. That, go, go ahead. Has that cool uh, Mellotron like string sound in mm-hmm. the chorus that they bring in? That's part yes. of I think what makes it sound so like big and. You know, get your attention. And there's a, a lot of well-placed keyboard playing on this record. Dolly Bird has that 
nice arpeggioed uh, keyboard that pops in and out throughout the song. They do a nice job of playing off his vocal in the chorus where it uh, it hits a high note when he backs down and then when he's singing, the, the, the arpeggio like sort of uh, goes into the background. This is a nice mm-hmm. job of, uh, of mixing that and producing that particular uh, keyboard sound. There's a couple songs towards the beginning from it's like a run from cream to opium that I'm not a huge fan of. Blind in particular, even though it's an up-tempo song, the guitar riff I hate to use the word, but it sounds stock. Like it just it doesn't sound original at all to me. Whereas uh Patrick Sugg's guitar playing, for the most part, while not necessarily the most inventive, it's at least you know, keeps a lot of melody and it keeps a lot of tonal interest there's he's doing different things from song to song and that just sounded like a guy playing a chord and doing a sort of a traditional hard rock riff that any acdc song does better mm-hmm. um so that that one was kind of a letdown for me but the other song that I, I wanted to bring up was uh she because it's i think the farthest away from the cult that they get on this record it's got it sounds like keyboard loop drums and uh, it's, I guess it's, it, I don't even remember being that far off what we consider the, you know, the she, she Sells Sanctuary Firewoman cult, um, even on the last cult, on that 94 cult record where they were, were experimenting with some, you know, oddball textures and, and sounds. Um, that to me is like, that becomes the antithesis of what the cult is, where you can still have Ian Asbury <laughs> singing over top of it. Um, yep. But overall, I, I agree with uh, I agree with Joe. I think this is a nice little gem of a record. I did not dissect Ian Asbury's lyrics because I just generally don't. I don't really care what he's singing. I just want to hear him sing. Yeah. Um, he has a, to me one of like the top five rock voices of all time. But he could sing like literally. He's one of those guys. He could sing the phone book, and I'd be I'd be happy. I just want to hear some woos. <laughs> and uh, as long as he keeps it up tempo most of the time, then I'm then I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, so, what was it like for you to go back and uh, revisit Cream? It was pretty. It was pretty good. I, you know, thinking back, I nothing really stood out in my mind about this record. You know, it, uh, when I thought back, like no particular songs or choruses or anything really kind of stood out to me that I remembered. Uh, I kind of went it to it a little bit blank because I haven't listened to it in so long. But quickly, I realized I must have listened to this a ton because I remembered. Not only every song, but you know, I was it was coming back to me in waves. You know, as parts were going to come uh, in those cool keyboard, you know, pieces or those cool guitar riffs or lines or the a drum fill, like all that stuff. I was starting to, you know, 
anticipated as I listened to the record, and it was all very familiar. You know, I think it. What is really interesting about it is that it uses a lot of the aspects of the cult that work really well, um, or at least sort of the formula that they that they have always had. The biggest part of that being, you know, his his choruses or in the hooks of the cult are as much about the guitar leads as they are his vocal melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even more so about the guitar leads. So if you listen to a lot of cult stuff, you'll notice that there's always, you know, in the best songs, there's always a very memorable guitar lead either in the intro and then re- reprised in the chorus or there'll be a back and forth in the chorus between, you know, a guitar lead and the vocal. And that relationship uh, between Billy Duffy and Ian Asbury is a huge part of the, you know, when the cult is, is working really well, what, what makes them unique and, and how you take a singer like him and you, you make him into a more of a pop, you know, oriented singer because some of the stuff he does is, you know, can be a bit croony or, you know, kind of over the top and mm-hmm. he's not always um, super, I mean, he's got a good sense of melody, but sometimes he can be dark you know vocally what he's doing um so to write a big major sounding bridge sometimes the guitar is really necessary to do that and this record does that a lot but it does it in an interesting way in that some of it some of the guitar parts you could kind of hear billy duffy maybe doing but other ones you know are, are pretty different than what he would do and that that little bit of different flavor for somebody who's a call fan is, is kind of cool to hear and if you listen to like his solo record, that doesn't happen as much. And that's why I think that record isn't as successful as, as even a record like this. I love the keyboard stuff on this record. That was something when I revisited it that really stood out to me again. Um, it's just so tastefully done in the way that, you know, it's the right sound, you know, comes in at the right time, goes away at the right time. Um, it's a really cool compliment to the guitar. Um, in some cases, like a song like She, um, you know, it's a, it's really a, a sort of a atmospheric, especially in the verses, very atmospheric sounding. And the keyboard mm-hmm. plays a huge part of creating, creating this weird, you know, kind of creepy, quirky sound. Um, and then a song like Dolly Bird, I think you mentioned where, you know, they bring it in. And it's just kind of these cool arpeggio sounds, but they like rise up at the right moment in the chorus to kind of do what the guitar would normally do in terms of creating a little bit of interest and a little counter melody and then it goes away and I just love how the keyboards are are done on this record. Drum wise it sounds drum and bass wise it sounds a lot like that 94 self-titled cult record to me. You know the playing is very similar. The sound of the drums is very similar. Um, That's why I've always thought of these two records as being you know kind of brother sister. Um, I think you're right. I think the, the cult record is darker it actually sounds like a little less, um, I hate to say inspired, but it sounds a little less um, sort of natural. It sounds, you know, it sounds like they spent more time getting that cult record right, working on the sound of the band. Um, it sounds a little bit more labor intensive. This one, it almost, to me, sounds like, you know, they kept all the gear set up and kept all the, you know, the studio dialed into that tone. And then they just brought like, some different guys in the play with Ian Asbury, you know, so it kind of has a very similar production sound for me, but mm-hmm. it just has a little bit more, I guess, upbeat energy to it. Um, it sounds a little bit more spontaneous, a little, little less labored. Now there is some, I mean, dark material on here. Um, but I think what I love is that it's kind of interspersed throughout individual songs. So even on the song like brother fights, which is the first track on the record, it opens up with these kind of big major sounding chords, um, you know, pretty straightforward, almost a little generic ish, 
but then they switch to this I guess what it, I guess it would be the chorus or the pre-chorus and it's kind of keyboard heavy and it's a it's a minor sound and it just takes on this whole like pivot to this very kind of sentimental dark kind of turn onto nowhere and I love that record and the record kind of keeps doing that where you know it's really about core changes for me on this record where it should it goes from light to dark um and there's there's some stuff going on in terms of you know adding instruments but there's this really cool back and forth that happens between um guitar and keyboard where they can shift from the shift the whole feel which i love um just through core changes and and just kind of shifting which of those two instruments is dominant in the song Mm -hmm. i love uh, I love some of the, like a song like Opium, where it has a really Latin feel. Um, yeah. But they pull, like normally, like, you know, other we've reviewed other bands where they try to go towards a genre like that, but they go so far that it just doesn't quite sound right. Um, this is like, they're using the rhythms and a little bit of the chord structure of, of, of like a Latin kind of song, but it's still, it's not so far that it sounds like silly. And then, you know, obviously Ian Asperger singing over something like that. He does a really good job pulling it off, I guess. There's a line in there that I really like. Uh, I'm a man whose horns are apparent. <laughs> Just sounds like this really, like, devious kind of, you know, tune where I could just mm-hmm. kind of see him, like, hanging out at a bar, like, <laughs> trying to hook up with some some uh, hot Latin woman or something. Um, I could totally, you know, him swagger. He doesn't try to hook up. Song. They just come to him. Come on. He just stands there. He doesn't stand there. He leans. <laughs> he does a hip shake. He does this Memphis hip shake, and then they just appear. But that's uh, in the middle of the record. It seems like lyrically, like Cream, Opium, Space Junkie. I mean, I, I would assume all those songs are about heroin. So there's kind of this, a lot of metaphors going on about drugs in the middle of this record that kind of have, you know, they give them a, a creepy kind of dark, dark tinge to him when you start, you know, breaking them down and really listen to the, lyrically what he's doing. There is some stereoty- lyrically, there's some stereotypical Ian Asbury stuff here, but I also think that there's some stuff on this that I don't think he would do in the cult necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, like a song like um, "I Think You Are There," you know, that's a song where 
I don't think he could ever do that song on the call. And I don't right. think lyrically there, there's some stuff going on there that I don't think he would ever sing on the call. Um, and same thing with Magic Christian. Sort of, uh, it's a you know nostalgic look back. It has a '60s feel to it, which is kind of cool because it's it feels like he's talking about his childhood or his, you know a friend of his childhood. Um, and, it, and it conjures the music they were probably listening to. You know, the Beatles psychedelic era sort of uh, music very very english uh sounding to me um and he grew up in england so it kind of you know when you're listening to it is is very autobiographical and it's not um it doesn't have that it's a little bit more vulnerable than what you hear from the cult usually he like layers in some a lot more metaphor or you know what i mean like kind of almost a macho masculine sort of you know lyrics and this is kind of hard on his sleeve which is kind of cool to hear from him um so yeah i mean i i i'm a huge call fan so this is you know i I like this entire record i could see you know if you're not i can see why a lot of people would not be um necessarily into everything Ian hasbury does but um if you are there's you know it's a very cool record to check out and it's a side of him that um that was exposed in the 94 record, but then I think further explored here. And, you know, I think it's, it's pretty damn good. I, I think the reason why it, it maybe falls is that even though it's a little bit more, um, uh, let's say inspire, or I don't want to say inspire, but a little bit more uh, brighter or more slightly more hooky than the 94 cult record. It still doesn't quite have, the big chorus. I mean, it doesn't have the Firewoman chorus in it. You know, a lot of these songs like right. set up like they should have a huge chorus and they kind of don't. Um, I'm fine with that. I, I think it's interesting enough to not have the big sing-along chorus all the time. Um, I think there's enough going on here to keep at least keep my attention with uh, the instrumentation and the playing and the and the songwriting. But I would, you know, say that's probably why the record didn't do very much is that it just doesn't have that big... Uh, she sells sanctuary or firewoman style, you know, chorus to it. No. And, you know, there's something to be said about Billy Duffy's guitar playing and contributions as a songwriter as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you, when you hear his guitar on firewoman or she sells sanctuary, I mean, those are very distinct sounds and tones and his way of playing is, is very particular. And no, this is a completely different, direction in the guitar so and i'm sure that ian asbury had to you know adjust the way that he was writing in order to sort of fit that but like the single was space junkie and if you listen to the structure of that song doesn't get enormously loud during the chorus uh it's his vocal with the matching guitar lead the sort of direct guitar but if that had been a cult song i think it would have been a much bigger sounding chorus they would have probably layered the vocal, you know, yeah. like they do in, in Firewoman or something like that. Or, you know, they just would have approached it from a different direction. And it might not have even had that chorus. It might have had a bigger uh, vocal melody. But for this record, sure I think that, it works fine. I'm not even sure, like, if, you know, it's probably from a guitar standpoint, one of the simplest songs on the record. It's only two chord, kind of a, almost like a T-Rex kind of a vibe in terms of its you know, focus more on the groove than it is on the you know, mm-hmm. riff. Um, I'm not even sure that the call would ever do a song like that, you know? Um, so, 
but in the, in the guitar lead in that, which I think is really cool, I think to your point, it's something that Billy Duffy wouldn't have played. You know, he would have done something different. So, you know, that's a song that was thrown out there as a single, and for people who are cult fans, it didn't maybe necessarily connect with them because it's pretty different than the cult. There's some other tunes on here that are somewhat similar, but that one's... I have a hard time picturing the cult even doing that song. Now, you've heard the the Asbury solo record, right? Yeah. I'm assuming you own that. Yep. Let's rank, because I kind of see these, I kind of see the 94 self-titled, this record, and then his solo record is sort of being in the same vein, and we might get to his solo record at some point in the, you know, maybe next year. It's an interesting, weird record in a lot of respects. If you're going to rank those, one, two, and three, or hey, what's that? No, we'll do, we'll do one, two, three. I was going to try to think of another ranking system, but Mary <laughs> F. Kill. We get Mary F. Kill. Those three records. Uh, okay. So rank them, um, one, two, three. What what would you place as the number one, number two, number three? Well, the, the solo record's definitely three. Uh, you know, okay. I've, I have it. I've listened to it. Uh, I don't go back to it much. Um, I'd have to really be in the mood to it, mood for it to pull it out. Um, I'm feeling right now like this might be my favorite of the three. Maybe it's just because I'm listening to it now. But there's a couple. There's I, I guess I felt like on the '94 Cult record, which I love, I felt like there was a couple moments on the a couple more moments on that record where I ground a little bit. I was like, uh, you know, that's either they're mailing it in or that's just not working or they're trying too hard there or that line is really, you know, bad or. I didn't feel that way really at all on this record. There was no moments where I kind of cringed and was like, ah, oh, that was that was a misstep. Um, I, I would say probably the closest thing to a misstep on this is the last track, but even that's not, it's still kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't believe I'm, if you had told me a week ago I'd be ranking them this way, I said you're nuts, but I think I'm going to put this record first and then the cult record second and then the solo record third. Wow. Shocker from j-town <laughs> all right well i i can't i cannot agree with you i would probably i'm still gonna put that self-titled cult record one this is a close second and uh, i do like the ian asbury solo record and I'm, I'm gonna put a third like you but wow that's uh that's interesting i'm uh, i'm a little blown away by that uh, particular admission Look, I, I if i'm in a if i'm in a darker mood then the cult record is probably what i'll put on because it's just gotcha what's on that where you're just like you know, when you want to be bummed out on a rainy day, it's, you know, it's way more dramatic and in that vein. Understood. So then uh, I'm going to take a wild guess, but in the Worthy Album, Better EP, Decent Single Ranking, I'm going to go that uh, you're going to say Worthy Album. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm a huge fan. So he, like you said earlier in the in the show, that he could sing the, the phone book and I would listen to it and love it. I just... There's so few in our generation. There's so few um, singers that are really huge personalities and have a distinct style and just have a awesome like presence and attitude that um, I just love hearing that. I just I don't know. I come from the the 70s and 80s, so this is like in terms of my generation, one of the few people that can that pull that off. I'm going with a worthy album, but I am going to kick off a few songs. So I'm down to about eight songs, just a, just a pair of songs um, that I don't particularly care for. Uh, but I, I think eight is a, st- a really strong album from 
what is essentially a, uh, a one-off from uh, Ian Asbury. So who knows, maybe uh, he'll get uh, Patrick Sugg and Scott Garrett and Matt Garrett back together someday and they'll do another record. But they, they seem to be fully on board with uh, the cult, he, or him and Billy Duffy seem to be on board with the cult right now because they put out a new record last year and they've got another one scheduled for next year. So yeah. they, are, uh, they are back to full time with that band. So, and I'm not going to complain. They're awesome live. Yes. I've seen them once, I believe. Although I had an upset stomach that night, so I, it was not a, I didn't actually see the whole show. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's another story for another day. <laughs> not on this podcast. So if you like what you heard, folks, please head on over to our iTunes page. Leave us some positive feedback. Of course, you can always check us out at digmeoutpodcast.com for our daily updates, uh, our Monday history lesson of the 90s, new release Tuesday, Wednesday video flashback, Thursday new releases, and Friday previews for Tim, or for Tim, for Jay, I'm (laughs) Tim, I know who I am. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Yeah.